0: Hey, Salt Company, welcome back. We are uh, ready to talk a little bit with you about mental health. And I just want to give a word of caution here. This is a heavier topic. You probably knew that clicking on the title of this podcast. But um, what we don't want to try and do here is be medical professionals or psychiatrists we are not qualified to do that what we do want to do is just be um yeah christians and christian leaders within our ministry that can help tee up a conversation and begin to talk about you know what does the bible have to say about mental health how do we handle our mental health struggles because this is a really big deal um when you think about mental health amongst college students, especially suicide is the second leading cause of death for college students. And what I know to be true, just based on raw data is that suicide actually spikes in the spring. And just this last week was the first day of spring, meaning this is a really uh, crucial time to be having this conversation. So Statistics would tell me 73% of students face some sort of mental health crisis during college, and 75% of struggling students are reluctant to seek help, meaning this podcast might be a safe way for you who are experiencing a mental health crisis and are reluctant to seek help. This is you seeking help, but you're not seeking help with people. You're seeking help in isolation, and so we are starting this conversation to help push you towards community and we'll talk more about what that looks like um, but to at least start the mental health conversation so that you are not alone in this in this battle and in this mental health crisis and so um, when we think about mental health in the Bible I just want you to know if you are struggling with mental health um, you your story can fit in the Bible that we read and believe and follow. So, if you were to engage in the Psalms, if you were even just to look at um, many prophets, if you were to look at the Apostle Paul, even if you were to look at the person and work of Jesus, who in the garden, it says he was, you know, in anguish, he was brought to the point of despair, where in his tears, it was like, you know, he was sweating blood. Um, So, There is an emotional agony that we see in and amongst God's people. So you don't have to feel shame and you don't have to feel like you're weird or you're an outsider if you're struggling with mental health. But I say all of that and also want to begin a conversation to say, what does culture tell us about mental health and how might we as Christians maybe flip the script Um, and so I'll start us and Kyler and Nicole, I want you to speak to this too. But, um, one of the things that I think culture would tell us when it comes to mental health is that mental health has nothing to do with a spiritual reality. And I just want to say that that is not true. Uh, we are embodied souls, meaning we have a mind, we have a body and we have a soul And so, though we might be experiencing symptoms of mental health, it is worth asking the question, is there a spiritual reality that we are not addressing that needs to be addressed? Um, That's not to say that every mental health struggle is related to sin, but it is to say we have to consider the spiritual reality when it comes to our mental health and not simply seek help on the mental side of things if we're not addressing soul-level issues. But what else comes to mind when it comes to culture, the cultural narrative around mental health that we should talk about?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point of like not making it your identity. I think one thing that is a pro of where we're kind of at in a culture is it is more common to speak of it. And so like yeah, to take advantage of that to know that, um, yeah, it's okay if you're struggling, whether that's in a, um, like, Christian context in the local church, or if that's in, like, the medical realm, to know that there's, that that's not going to be a surprise to people. Jordan read the statistics, like, it's a reality, and so, yeah, just to take that first step to even open up is something I think culture saying, but even in, with the Psalms, like, man, the way they talk to God about their emotions, I'm, like, floored sometimes, because that's, like personally hard for me to open up to other people about my emotions. And it's like, man, if I can be that like blunt and bold with God, like he made my emotions, he made my mind. And that's not to say everything that comes into my mind or thoughts, I think are honoring to God. But like, if I'm going to love him with my mind, my heart, my soul, my strength, like God made all those things. And so I can definitely like trust that he can meet me in all those things. I don't have to, Muster up the strength to get right before I can go to God and say, like, God, I'm not, I'm not doing well. I need you to, I need, I need help. I don't know what that looks like, but I need help.
0: Yeah, that's good. You bring up the identity piece. I think that's huge. How many students I have talked with in the last three years that one of the first things they would tell me is not, uh, you know, this is how I came to know Jesus or this is how God is growing me, but is you know more defined by you know, my name is blank and I have depression and I have anxiety and I have PTSD, um, fill in the blank. And I think it has become almost this identity mark in people's life that's just not helpful. Um, So that's not to neglect the reality that you're facing a mental health crisis. It is to say that what God says about you is most important. And your, your primary identity, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that you are a redeemed child of God. And if you happen to also struggle with depression, anxiety, uh, further mental health crises, um, that can be a part of your story, but that is not your identity. And so when we are asked a question, like, is mental health a sin? How would you address or maybe answer that question?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's helpful off the bat to just say no, it's not necessarily. It's certainly mm. not a sin just to be struggling with mental health. But how you you live in light of what you are going through, excuse me, very well could be um, choosing to sin, live in a lifestyle of sin, or given to a pattern of sin. But you no, know, having a mental health struggle in and of itself is not sin.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of already mentioned it, like God hearing about people's emotions in the Psalms, you mentioned Paul, like there's so much raw, real emotion going on where they're, they're like giving over the depravity, excuse me, not depravity, like the reality of where their mind's at, that they know it's not honoring God, that they know that they're struggling, they're anxious, they're depressed, they have no hope. And it's like, okay, that's not necessarily sin. But if in me not having hope, I turn to something for control, that dishonors God, yeah, sure, that's sin. If I harm myself, yeah, that's sin. And so to say, maybe the thoughts, the feelings, the awareness of the mental health that's going on isn't sin, but to say like, okay, what's your response? Is that sin? Because that, that's more of what it is than like the actual mental health piece is the yeah, response.
0: That's good, yeah. Oftentimes our coping mechanisms mm, yeah. can become sinful behavior. Yeah, that's good. Um, so let's say a student in our ministry comes to you and they're saying, hey, um, one of my connection group guys or gals just told me that they have a mental health struggle, whether that's, you know, they're really struggling with depression or they have suicidal ideation. Um, If you were to, you know, just begin to give them some advice of like, here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. What kind of things might you tell a student?
1: Yeah, I think one of the first things I think of is like, we are all individual people. So just because they say they have depression, anxiety, trauma, what, like whatever they're labeling it as, um, one, to find out if this has been an ongoing thing, um, if it is actually what they think it is, not to say um, labels aren't unimportant, but I think to um, yeah label something maybe prematurely can bring more shame or damage than... Um, yeah, if they've, if they've gone somewhere, if they've been evaluated, if they know this has been a struggle before. Um, but then I think also just to say like each person is an individual. So how do you like figure out what's going on with that individual? How do you ask them questions, not in an overwhelming way, but to figure out what's actually going on? Um, what does that struggle look like? Um, who have they told? um, those kind of things I think is what I would say first, like show up, be there, but ask questions too, to get more of a fuller picture rather than just like, Oh, you told me you have depression or anxiety. Like let's go to the next step. That's not quite how it works for sure.
2: And I think even just right off the bat, being honest with them and saying like, thank you for even just trusting me with telling me what's going on. And I, that means a lot to me that you would share that with me. I care about you. And even just asking like Do you want to talk about this right now? Is this this a time you want to talk about it? Is this a place you want to talk about this?
0: Yeah, that's really good. I think that the idea of like helping them start to begin to process what they're feeling and thinking, most of them have been writing an internal narrative that they have never (laughs) vocalized before. So um yeah, saying, can you describe what you're feeling or like what kind of thoughts have you been having and letting them just begin to speak? Um, I know it's hard for me, but, you know, this idea of uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak is crucial on the receiving end of people that are beginning to open up. Uh, We especially men. I know it's true of everybody, but especially men love to fix. We just want to fix people. Um, and the problem is people are not projects and they cannot just be fixed. And so a, a quick don't do, and you guys can add to this as well, is just begin to give them all the advice that you think you have, or to, you know, put the, the Bible verse bandage like over like, Hey, you know, God is going to use this for good. Because if, if they've been in the church, they call themselves a Christian. They're probably saying, I already know that you're Mm -hmm. coming across as insensitive. So what other things would you say don't do, um, if you're on the receiving end of trying to help somebody?
2: Yeah. I think even just immediately responding and saying like, Oh, I know exactly what you're going through exactly what you're feeling. Oftentimes not the move.
0: Yeah. Even
1: like behavior modification, like, oh, what is this week been anxious? Have you just been more sad? Like giving language that might um, like diminish how they've been feeling, I guess. And so like that's why, like I said before, you got to be careful with questions, but it's like, what does it look like to ask them their experience rather than trying to match it up clearly with something like I've even personally been through? It's crazy how much like showing up for someone, they're telling you how they're feeling and you just sit there and you just listen and then there's silence and then you just keep listening, like how loved people can feel from that because maybe they got been getting cut off or they haven't had a platform like you were saying, Jordan, to ever speak about this. And so just to show up and to be still and to like pray to God that you would say what you should say and not say what you shouldn't say is like maybe one of the biggest things that you could do initially to be so helpful.
0: Yeah, that's good. I've heard it said before in in the book of Job, Old Testament book of a man's life who's filled with incredible suffering. I've heard it said, you know, Job's friends did a great job until they opened their mouth because their first instinct was to sit with their friend and to weep and to mourn with him. But it's when they tried fixing Job that it's mm. when things started to go sideways. Um, one thing that I would just say, like, Kyler, you brought up a great point. If someone opens up to you, um, it's a great thing to start by saying, like, thank you to them. I think a dangerous thing that we can do in just a fast paced culture is never follow up. So we have an initial conversation, they tell us something that's like really important, um, really weighty, and we say thank you, but then it's like, oh, I haven't checked in on them for like weeks or a month goes by. Um, So I would say one thing to do is if somebody trusts you with this information to make it a point to just get really practical, like go into your phone, make a reminder or like set an alarm where you can just send a text message or pick up the phone and call the person and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing?
1: Yeah. Another thing that just came to mind that you've actually brought up before, Jordan, is like, don't be the only person that knows. And so whether that's that same time they tell you or within the next week, like Helping them identify another person that they can also share this with, whether that's um, all the details initially, maybe that's not realistic for them, but to at least tell somebody else that they know and they can trust that they're not doing well in whatever capacity and to start that conversation with them so that you're not the only one that knows.
0: That's good. Yeah. And so we brought up earlier in the podcast, like, we want you to do this in community. What we're not saying is you have to tell your entire connection group. Mm, but yeah. what we are saying is you need to let a couple people in on what's going on in your life because you need you need help, and you were never meant to face this alone. Um, one acronym that um, our staff team has stumbled across through a Gospel Coalition article when it comes to helping somebody that's hurting is... The word slow, S-L-O-W, and it stands for show up, meaning just be present. The L is listen. The O is offer specific help. And so when you have people that are struggling with very tangible and weighty mental health crises, sometimes they just need somebody to like bring them a meal or to, you know, offer to bring them groceries or just to do something really tangible. And then the last is words of grace. And so I brought up earlier, like, don't be quick to throw, you know, God's going to work this for good. But we also want to say like God's word gives life and God's Mm. word does actually like revive the soul. And so it's not never use scripture. It's, hey, be tactful with scripture And when you come across something, it's like, man, this is really, I feel like, meant to encourage and uplift you, just to like speak it to them in such a way that you don't think they're ignorant, but just to say, hey, I just wanted to remind you of what God tells us, and then to read something to them. So, S-L-O-W, and you kind of get the the meaning there. It's like it's meant to make us slow down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even the acronym is helpful. Mm -hmm. So... Um, let's play out this continued, you know, scenario student has come to you and is saying, Hey, um, when is it time for this person to get help? Um, and with that, how can I recognize my limitations in helping this person? It's kind of a two part question. So when should the person get help and how can a student recognize their limitations?
2: Yeah, I think I mean if if someone is daily struggling with mental health anxiety, like it's totally fine to get help right then and there like let's let's get you some help whether that's I'm going to talk to, you know, a pastor, talk to someone on salt staff, go find uh, someone who's a biblical counselor or even even a counselor who's not themselves a Christian, but I would say also in that don't isolate yourself from Christian community. Um but it's yeah, just helpful to I think get help, and even if you don't need ongoing, you know, care in that way to just go and and get talking about what's going on and let other people in.
1: Yeah, for sure. I feel like whatever capacity you're talking about getting help in, whether it's the things Kyler just mentioned, or maybe you've tried those things and they've been helpful to some degree, but it hasn't, um, you know, well... Also, just to say, like when you seek when you seek help, what are you seeking help for? To alleviate it as a whole, or to make it more manageable? Like, what is the actual intention? Um, I think is also another good question to ask. But yeah, whether that's within the church, um, outside of the church, but connected also then with the church, um, or in like a medical sense, um, I, I don't know that there's like a too soon in a way to just like acknowledge that it's happening. Tell somebody. Kind of what's going on. I think the the longer you wait and the worse it can get, then you end up in those situations where it's like, I never thought I would get here. Mm-hmm. I I can't protect myself. I don't know how to ask for help because I nobody knows I was even struggling with these thoughts of, of um you know just having the thoughts. Let alone now I want to act on thoughts and it's like okay how did, how could I have prevented that? Talking yeah. about it earlier would That's be a good. good way.
0: Yeah, I just think of how frequently. With your, with your physical health, what you're supposed to do, not everybody does it. You're supposed to get an annual physical, and that's meant to be preventative. And there's a stigma around mental health that says like, oh, if you seek help for mental health, you're like sick in a way that is maybe making you a social outcast. And I just want to like silence that and say, no, it is better To go and acknowledge your need for help and to seek help, even if it functions in some ways like an annual physical and it's a preventative measure to say, oh, I just felt like I had to talk to somebody about this because I've never sought help on it before. If they just say, thank you for sharing with us, I don't think you need to keep being seen. Like that was worth it. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to just acknowledging limits, I think most of us, um, I don't always say this and I shouldn't always say this in a spiritual realm. There's something to be said of like, follow your gut of if you feel like it's out of your ballpark, it is, it already is. Um, especially with college students, like, you are not a medical professional, and you are still really young. That's not to say that you don't have wisdom, but that is to say there are a lot of more mature people, especially in your church family, that can come alongside and help you. Um, So I think there's certain things that a friend will come to you and say, hey, I've really been anxious about my test this week. It's like, yeah, you you can help that. But if somebody says, hey, I've been having crippling anxiety and panic attacks, and I don't feel like I can show up to church on Sunday anymore, it's like, I think that's out of your ballpark. Um, So don't be afraid to ask for help. And a line that we've used within our ministry before is like, hey, you can tell us anything in confidence, but that doesn't always mean it's confidential. And what we mean by that is like, hey, we're not going to go blast it to the world. But if we need to tell somebody else that's more qualified or more able to better help you, that is going to be done in love. And so it's not that we're gossiping about you. We are genuinely willing to just find somebody that can help lead you to a point of health and stability and towards Christ. And so um, I want to just kind of end this time talking about suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. Um, This is not a fun topic. And it wasn't until a couple years ago that I was faced with a situation where I was looking at a student who told me, hey, I've been thinking about ending my own life. And I didn't know what to do. Um, You know, I wanted to listen. I wanted to ask questions. But Thankfully, there was a CRPD member of our church who was near, and I just said, hey, first off, I know you're a follower of Jesus. Second off, you're, like, trained to know how to handle this. What types of questions should I be asking him, and what am I, like, responsible to do? Uh, What am I required to do? And he gave me really practical advice. And so I just want to share that with you so that we can better care for one another, um, care for the people that God has entrusted to us and when necessary, if this applies to you, uh, to seek the help that you may need. And so if somebody came to me today and said, Jordan, I've been having suicidal thoughts. The first question I would ask is, do you have a plan? And, If they say yes, a follow-up question is, you know, do you have the means to carry out the plan? And if the answer to that is yes, then one of the most challenging things that you have to do is you have to present them with one of two options. You can say, hey, you need to go to the hospital. And there's two ways we can do this. The first is that You can drive there, or I can drive you there. We can go in together. And if that's the case, here's what's necessary. You need an initial evaluation. There's no promised stay in a hospital, um, but you will be evaluated. But if they're not willing to do that, what you can actually tell them is, to better protect you, I'm going to need to call the police. And that seems extreme, but if the police have to escort your friend to the hospital, they will be admitted um, for at least a couple days to stay and be monitored and to make sure that they are in a safe environment. And here's the reality. Your friend might get really mad at you, Um, and that's something that none of us want. But if that means our friend is alive— That is something that we are never going to regret doing. And so there's obviously more questions you can ask along the way of, have you had these thoughts before? Have you attempted suicide before? Um, How long has this been going on? But to better understand, do they have a plan? Do they have the ability to carry out their plan? If those things are true, we actually need to take more desperate measures to protect them from themselves. And so, um, any closing thoughts on mental health, scriptures, um, the hope that we have in Christ, mm. anything you guys want to say? Yeah.
2: I mean, I would just add to what you were saying, which all that's super helpful. If, if you're ever in a situation like that at all, just like remember those, try to remember those things, but move slowly through those things. You don't need to mm-hmm. freak out your friend by, you know, right now I'm going to call 911. Just like be be at peace and trust that the Lord's with you and and is going to work through all that's going on, no matter how maybe ill prepared you feel.
1: Yeah. And I think like a, another helpful part in that is like as a friend, as the one struggling, you can do all the right things. And sometimes like Jordan said, there's just limits. And so to know it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to speak up. Like it's okay to not have all the answers to say to somebody and, um, yeah, just to know, like, oh man, you're in danger of hurting yourself, and I don't want you to do that. So, whether that's come stay with me for the night, or I, like, I want to go to the doctor with you to make sure we can have more conversations, whatever it is, like, don't do anything um, unless they are in like dangers in a, in a danger of hurting themselves without, I guess, their permission in a sense. I think sometimes in mental health, it can feel like, oh, I just divulged something really personal and scary that I maybe haven't told anyone. And now all of my ability to make decisions is going to be taken away Mm. from me. And that's just not true. Like if you're not going to, um, if you're not going to allow someone to make decisions to help themselves get better, they're always going to feel like they're just stuck in that place. And so, yeah, unless it comes to like, harming of themselves or of another person, there's no reason they can't make some of those small step decisions. And you can be a really big help in walking through that with them. Um, So to not just, yeah, take the reins, take control. It can feel like the right thing to do sometimes to protect, but um, isn't always the right answer either. Again, within the context of what we're talking about, if there's harm potentially being done, they have the means. That's a different story. But if if they can take action steps and make those decisions, it's actually better if you let them do it to show them that they can, um, yeah, have some authority over those thoughts and feelings too, not just experience them.
0: For sure. And I just want to say, like, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Wow, this is totally me." Um, You are not alone. God's promise to his disciples, um, tail end of the Great Commission, is true for us. You know, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I am there. I am present. Um, And it's oftentimes when we're in the deepest, darkest valleys that it's like, oh, we recognize when I walk through the valley of shadow of death, like, you are with me. Um, You know, Daniel, in the fire, like, God is there. Like, it's just so so real that God is with you and we serve a God that has suffered. And so, um, I just pray that that can be an encouragement to you and, um, want to just gently, um, but also firmly tell you, you are not meant to handle this alone. And so please begin a conversation, uh, with trusted people around you who can begin to walk through, um, this struggle alongside you. So, Salt so, Company, we love you. Um, we are so grateful just for the opportunity to get this podcast out to you. I uh, hope it can be beneficial to you, not only now but in the in the weeks, months, and years to come. We love you. See ya.